0: Hey there dog people of the internet. It's Sarah. This is Cog Dog Radio. Today I'm kicking off a new case study series. We're going to start talking about a sheltie named Danny. And Danny is a dog that I have worked with for um a couple of years now and I think it's time to tell you about her. She reflects a lot of the dogs that i've been getting um a lot of emails about a lot of inquiries about and so i think she will be a helpful one she's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from some of the dogs that i commonly work with because she is not worked up in any way shape or form um when i met her she would really deliberately avoid training and was a dog that would just kind of you know really shut down and act fearful during training and so we had to work pretty hard to really just teach Danny to be a willing participant so when Danny's human Graham first approached me he approached me with some specific issues Um, one of them being that As soon as he would take the leash off of Danny in agility class, she would kind of run, run away from him, run back to their kind of area with treats and just not want to engage in the equipment at all. Um, And then that started to bleed over into other classes that she was taking. um, And he was always really active, taking a lot of positive reinforcement based classes with her from the very beginning and her avoidance of working or learning in these classes really was starting to become a huge problem. And so he started working with me and we found that, you know, she was really just never keen to offer behavior. She had been lured or prompted for all of her training so far. She would also not engage uh, puzzle toys. She, anytime you give her a Kong or anything like that, it was pretty much a no-go. She would certainly not engage a puzzle that had just her regular meal in it. Um, She had some big fear responses right off the bat, and her fear responses were always to run away. So any off-leash work was really difficult because she would just kind of immediately leave. She's a dog that order is really important to her and routine is really important to her. So she has some multiple dog household struggles because Graham has multiple dogs. Um, Meaning that, you know, if one of the dogs didn't do what she kind of expected them to do, she would get kind of snarky with them. Um, She definitely has some discomfort around other dogs in general. It's subtle. She never acts aggressively, but it's definitely present and, Graham was just kind of on top of it enough to observe that and see it but again not really sure what to do about it. She's uncomfortable with people as well. Um, She's a cute fluffy little dog so people want to touch her all the time and there's literally there's no touching allowed. (laughs) She gets very upset if somebody reaches to pet her. Um, She literally like flipped over backwards when uh, we were in our first session and I walked behind her. Um, I wasn't walking behind her intentionally to do anything. I just, that was where I needed to go to get something. And it really freaked her out, really panicked her that I was, you know, maybe sneaking up on her. So I just kind of made a mental note of that. Um, She'd been through, like I said, numerous classes, very little success in those classes as far as learning behaviors and learning to engage with Graham. She'd been through some obedience, some rally, some agility. Um, They even took a tri-ball class. Her exercise was really limited to uh, leash walks only because, again, as soon as she was off leash, if something scared her, she'd run away. So it was not safe to have her off leash. Um, Graham was really good about feeding her from a slow bowl, but anything tougher than a slow bowl, she wasn't going to eat from. So no, no challenging puzzles were involved. She would just, she would just quit and not eat. Um, and she was fed very high quality kibble with some raw added in. Um, so grandma's already doing a nice job on the, on the diet front. And his communication with her was, was pretty shaky. So, although it was strictly positive reinforcement based he was not consistently using a marker signal um and so there was little clarity there was no corrections but there was little clarity and as we've talked about on the podcast before i think that clarity is extremely important to dogs and lack of clarity can be as aversive as anything um as aversive as you know an aversive tool being used so, and virtually nothing on cue. Um, he could lure almost any behavior, but very little things on verbal cues. So where we needed to begin with her was obviously my four steps to behavioral wellness. So the four steps for you guys who might be new to the podcast are um, exercise, enrichment, nutrition, and communication. So we had to hit all of those areas right off the bat. So for Danny, like I mentioned with exercise, She was pretty much going on leash walks, mostly around the neighborhood. Um, She was also engaging in what they call pack walks as far as um, that was just meeting up with other people from the training facility and their dogs and going on a walk. No required interaction with the other dogs, but again, people and dogs are concerning for her. So that means that a lot of the exercise she was getting was probably stressful for her. So we switched her over to a harness and a long line. Um, Graham lives near some big open fields. And so we started doing long line harness walks. And then eventually um, started taking her on off-leash hikes. And she has done fantastic on the off-leash hikes. She has not run off. She's been, you know, staying a nice, safe um, closeness to Graham so she would never she hasn't run off she has a good recall and she's generally speaking she's not scared on hikes so it's not a big concern for her to leave so her exercise improved right off the bat as soon as I started talking to Graham about it nutrition like I said she was already on very high quality kibble um, Graham's really dedicated and one of these people who kind of researches the hell out of dog food in general and so he was really keen on starting the starting a raw diet so he pretty much immediately switched her over to 100% raw and that went off without a hitch there were there were no issues he pretty much did it overnight and um Danny loved it right from the get-go He also slowly, and this goes into the enrichment front, started to incorporate more puzzles. So with my help, he would, you know, start to do easy puzzles for her. So maybe he would put the food bit by bit into like a muffin tin and just just have that be the starting place. And then the next time he would cover the food with a Kleenex. So he'd just put a Kleenex over each little, um hole in the muffin tin with the food in it and she could figure that out she could push a kleenex out of the way and then maybe from a kleenex we're going to go to a towel and get further and further and today uh, danny's a really sharp puzzler she can figure out most puzzles that we present her with so the enrichment front is looking really nice she'll also work on a kong um or a raw bone now which is something that she didn't used to be able to settle and do so her exercise, enrichment, and nutrition fronts um, were all improved pretty much right off the bat. And then the rest of our time working together was really spent on communication, meaning not just everyday communication, but but training communication and making training into a safe space for Danny. Because so far, as far as she's concerned, it wasn't a safe space because there wasn't clarity and scary things could happen like a dog could approach her out of the blue or a person could approach her out of the blue because as everybody knows when you're in a training class those things happen you can't control all elements all the time and so along the communication front we worked really hard on some reinforcement strategies and we worked really hard on improving um Graham's use of marker signals. So Graham was already using a clicker for a lot of his luring work. And we said, you know, no more clicking of a lure. We're going to now only click Danny for, for choosing to act on her own. And so one of the things that we did, um, is we would set up shaping sessions for Danny. So we would just want to shape her to do a simple behavior, like hop up on a board and we would say okay you're going to click and you're going to treat with a piece of meat for all 4 feet on the board but any motion towards the board or any you know 1 foot on the board you're going to mark with yes and you're going to give her give her a piece of kibble and so this is essentially something i call telling the dog that they're never wrong but sometimes they're more right than other times. So meaning you're essentially still gonna use a differential reinforcement scenario, which we're pretty much always using in shaping, which means we're reinforcing some things and not others. But in this differential reinforcement scenario, we are reinforcing some things, or we, we hope to be reinforcing some things more than others, hoping that the piece of meat is more important to Danny than the piece of kibble. And this proved true because over each session, we got more and more of the all four on behavior than the other behaviors that she would offer. But in the beginning, we were saying, anything you're going to give us, because this dog would just freeze, you guys. She would not act. She would literally freeze. And if much time went by without reinforcement, she would just, she would just leave. Okay, so she was waiting to be told what to do. And if you didn't tell her what to do, Within a reasonable amount of time, as far as she was concerned, which was probably about 30 seconds, she would just walk away. So with a dog that is sitting still frozen, um, not doing anything until she just gave up and left, we needed to start somewhere. And so we paid her for any motion that she would give us. And in the beginning, she would get up to leave and we would click and treat because she moved. Okay. So teaching her that anything she does will be rewarded. She is never wrong. But that some things will be more reinforced than others. And so teaching Graham to do this, to mark, really, it improved his marker signals because he would mark strategically. He would use one marker that would tell the dog she was getting a piece of kibble. And then he would use another marker that would tell her she was getting a piece of meat. And we would slowly watch the behaviors that were given meat begin to happen more and more and more to the point where we were no longer giving any kibble. And this is not something I would do for every dog, you guys, and it's not something I would do right off the bat. This is definitely something we do when things are broken. Okay, when we have a dog that is not trusting the learning environment, we need to, we need to sometimes, you know, break some rules and, you know, think outside the box. This is not something I would do to teach a dog initially. To shape this is something I would do to fix something that is broken and so we eventually taught her several tricks using this paradigm and using this um, you'll get a click and then meet for the behaviors we're really looking for but you'll get a yes and a kibble for any behaviors that you try slowly we started to watch her understand that this is a safe place and that anything she tries is right nothing she tries is wrong To just help her to try more things. Um, Really, really worked out. And in some future podcasts. We're going to talk about where we're at now. Because Graham doesn't need to do this anymore. He can now withhold reinforcement for behaviors. That he doesn't want to see repeated. um, Just like you would in a normal shaping session. With a dog that isn't overcoming an issue with this. And so it was a big one. It was a big one for her. And so... Um, worth noting is that Graham and his veterinarian did do a medication trial with Danny because she's generally anxious, um, in most parts of her life. This is not just a training situation, but she had some behavior changes that neither of us were comfortable with on the medication. She was just on fluoxetine and SSRI. Um, some increased aggression towards, towards the dogs in the household, um, as well as some other things. So the medication trial was ended pretty quickly. And you guys, that happens. It's worth trying the medication, I think in most cases, because usually it's helpful. Um, but always talk, that's why it's important to always talk to your veterinarian about what's going on and to not just, you know, blindly go forward with the medication. So she's no longer on meds. We identified that sound sensitivity is a big part of Danny's overall anxiety and fear. And I have to say that that is true for so many dogs that I have worked with and understand that the reason that sound sensitivity is sometimes hard to identify and always hard to work through is because their level of hearing is so different from ours. so, a really great example is that Danny used to come and see me at an outdoor training field that I used. And a few times we kind of changed our meeting time. And a few times in a row, she would just suddenly, within the middle of a session, just panic and run to the car. And every time she did that, um, I would just have Graham. Go let her get in the car. That's clearly what she was asking for. We were not here to try to teach her that, you know, she had to participate ever. So every time she did that, I would, you know, Graham would just go put her up in the car and typically she wasn't going to come out for the rest of the time. So we would just kind of chat about his plans with her and then he would go home and it took us a little too long to realize, but only a couple of sessions to realize that what was happening is, Each time she would do that, about 20 minutes later, a train would come through. So there was a train um, that would pass through. It was not super close, but it was definitely close enough that it was pretty loud as it passed through. Um, And my belief is that she heard the train so much sooner than we heard it. Um, Like I said, 20 minutes later, we would hear the train coming. I believe she was hearing the train... So long before we were hearing it and, and starting to panic already. And that's why she wouldn't come back out because she was just hearing it more and more and more intensely until it passed through. Um, this is just one of the many reasons that sound sensitivity is so hard to work through is that I would have had to know um, I, in order to truly desensitize or counter condition the sound of the train for her. We need to start at a place where the, where the sound wasn't scaring her and it would literally, it's literally inaudible to a human ear at the point that it's not scaring her. So really interesting. And I think a lot of dogs have, um, sensitivity to noise that is not even picked up on because we didn't necessarily even hear the noise that is freaking her out. So if your dog kind of suddenly panics about things and you're not really sure why, It's very possible that that's what's going on. Um, Most of the training buildings that we work in tend to be kind of big warehouse type spaces with weird noises. And she's not the only dog that I've known to have kind of a distaste for these big buildings with metal roofs. And if you think about it, it's because there's random noises all the time. A lot of them that we've just kind of tuned out and probably a lot of them that we can't even hear. So... That's a really specific thing that I think everybody should think about going forward. As far as how to work through sound sensitivity, um, the best thing to do is is not to try to intentionally work through it. If your dog has a very clear aversion to a certain noise, you could certainly engage a counter-conditioning protocol. But if it's a general overall sound issue, um, the research states that medication is actually your best bet so like I said Danny's no longer on medication all of the other things that we've done have really helped her to trust the learning environment more and the sound sensitivity is not so much of an issue for her um, as it used to be but it's certainly still present it's something to talk to your vet about if you believe that this is what's going on and specifically a veterinary behaviorist would be your best bet there so we also did just strategic teaching Danny how to learn through specific training projects. So meaning we wanted to teach her to problem solve within the learning environment so that she had all of the control. So putting all of the control of the learning environment into Danny's hands, into her, you know, putting the ball into her court was just a really big, important process that we went through for her. One of the specific things we did to do that was I needed to separate um, Graham and Danny, essentially, because she had come to rely on luring so much and Graham would be luring her most of the time without even trying to. So if we review the video and I'd say, you see that you're luring her here. And he'd say, I didn't even know I was doing that. Um, when you have learned to do a lot of luring, luring has been positively reinforced in you because you lure and then you see the behavior that you get to reinforce. And so you, you keep doing it and you may not even be aware that you're doing it. So I needed to really separate them out to teach her to think on her own and not, you know, she was constantly watching his hands and watching his feet to, for clues and um, on what to do in the environment, and I needed her to start to basically look elsewhere for clues and um, think about her own body and what she could do with it to get that click to happen. And so I took a page from the zoo trainers book here and employed something called protected contact training. And protected contact just means that there's a barrier between the trainer and the animal. In um, zoo work, zoo and aquarium work, it is intended to keep the trainer safe. So it's used with animals that are certain sizes and certain species um, to essentially just keep the trainer safe. So we, we never want to be working, you know, directly hands on with an adult hyena or an adult tiger. And so there's going to be a fence between the animal and the trainer. That's just an example. Um, it's a great idea if you're a trainer and you're working with, uh, like stranger directed aggression or dog directed aggression, any kind of aggression, start to use barriers to your advantage, start to use protected contact to your advantage. You will be able to get much farther, much faster, um, and keep everybody safe, at the same time if you do that. So I hugely, hugely recommend it. And then in Danny's case, and in the case of a lot of dogs like her, who are maybe um, a little worried about the training environment or a little bit shut down, it can be extremely helpful because it makes the human, it basically just makes the human work harder and it gets the human working to a level that they weren't working before because they cannot rely on body prompting and luring to get this behavior done. Because now there is a barrier up, so improving Danny's thinking skills and Graham's shaping skills by using protected contact was a big deal. And we started first with just very simple targeting. Um, we would have Danny target a wooden spoon on our side of the barrier. So we just use an X pen, um, a short X pen. So. We first just got her targeting a wooden spoon, Graham would click and then he would deliver the cookie to a, a dish on on Danny's side of the fence. So if you use um, a remote feeder like a pet tutor or manners minder, even better. That way you don't have to reach over the fence to reinforce. And then we actually built up to Danny being able to um, circle a cone on the other side of the barrier. So. Purely shaping her to do that from the other side of the barrier. And it was helpful for her to understand that the control was up to her. Um, And it also helped Graham to just improve his shaping skills. Because again, if you take away the ability to body prompt and lure... Now we've really got to watch for those minute behaviors and reinforce strategically. So it was very helpful and I, I want to just sing it from the rooftops. If you've never used protected contact in training, especially if you are working with behavior cases, it's time for you to try it. Um, it's really fantastic. And so just in general, what Danny has helped Graham and myself do is be able to think Think all the way through to, you know, to plan E, right? So if plan A, B, C, and D have failed, what's plan E, right? And I think so often trainers are not even able to think past plan B um, or past plan C with a dog like Danny who is highly intelligent and not naturally trusting, you have got to think further than that. And so she's been a really exciting case for me and I'm really excited to get started talking about her, um, and talking about everything that we did. So in the next episode, I'm going to go in depth on a lot of those. I mentioned we did strategic training projects to help teach her how to learn, um, and we're gonna talk in depth about all of those things. And then, of course, finally, um, for the third episode, we will talk we will talk with Graham about his process with Danny. So if you have questions about her um, or anything else, shoot them over to me at cogdogradio at gmail.com. And I hope that you will join me for the rest of Danny's training process. Thanks for listening.